0: You're listening to Chicago Writes, the podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. Congratulations to this year's Book of the Year award winners. The Book of the Year celebration social event will be held on January 20th, 2024 at the Tip Top Tap at the Warwick Allerton Hotel, 701 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Visit chicagorights.org under the contest tab for more details. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Mark Hudson. It was just a year ago that Mark Hudson was one of the CWA Book of the Year winners for his powerfully written book, So Costly a Sacrifice, which tells the true story of the cost paid by one family during the Second World War. Hudson, a U.S. Army veteran and former drill instructor, came across the story while researching the, the Sullivan brothers, five brothers from Waterloo, Iowa, who were among nearly 700 who died when the USS Juno was torpedoed by Japanese forces at Guadalcanal in 1942. Mark New, one of the original band of brothers, medic. Al uh, who we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, let me welcome you back to uh, Chicago Rights, brother.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real and, pleasure. Yeah, real and, pleasure.
0: And, and wish you a, a very happy holiday.
1: And likewise.
0: Before we get into this great topic, which you and I both share a passion and interest for, I wanted to know, as an author, if you've Ever experienced any publishing scams?
1: Well, actually, I mean, uh, I do get phone calls on occasion,
0: yeah,
1: uh, promising, you know, television time, you know, yep. for you know, uh, pay a fee, and uh, so I've had that. Uh, Those would be the ones. But I will say, uh, I, I had a call. Oh, it was early 2022. <clears <clears <throat> actually, had a, had an a email. And as I read the emails, uh, someone was interested in the rights to the book. I thought, you oh, know, here's another scam. You know, you, you get your hopes up. I mean, because you know, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the book business. The marketing, you know, it's not my forte. So
0: And there's a huge hope. component of hope oh, viewed absolutely. in the idea of being an author, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah
1: and so as i'm as i'm reading this this email it, it was saying well you know that uh you know, well i'm a you know producer and director and we're interested in the rights to your book you know would be would this be something that you would be interested in and are you the owner of the rights and and so as i read it you know again you know hopes are high and you know i suppose in some way you know it's uh, have zero zero expectations and you can't be disappointed and so i dialed, the dialed up the number and, and had a conversation. Fortunately, quite honestly, for me, for the book, for the family, we signed a, um, an option agreement in August of this year.
0: Right. That's great. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Um, I'm so happy for the family. Yes. And, and it doesn't mean that something big is going to come out of this, but you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained and we push the, push the ball forward, you know, one step at a time. So
0: but see, there's there's the key. So you you've created, uh, and and not to be be crass or cold about about the heart of the book, but you've created a product, and somebody has paid for that product via the option, mm-hmm. right? Yes. At no time did they ever ask you for any money.
1: No, no, not at all. Uh, yeah. Absolutely not. Turned out, you know, so I used, you know, uh, Steve Barron's lawyer in Chicago. He's actually associated with Chicago Writers. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was gracious enough to work with me and, and uh, you know, work through the, you know, all the, the legalese, I suppose, of the kind. Because again, you know, I have, uh, again, no experience whatsoever with this, and so he guided me through the process, and Mm -hmm. you know, we were able to get something, uh, something uh, written and signed. Uh, in August. So they have, essentially they have a year to kind of figure out what they want to do with it.
0: So So, two weeks ago, I received this email. I'm Alexa Rodriguez, a brand development specialist representing EC (laughs) Publishing Company, prestigious Florida-based literary agent. I received a recommendation letter from my client a few months back requesting information about your book for a potential acquisition author. I've got got a number of books in print, by the way. So a book, (laughs) what is it? I and my role involves advocating for exception, uh, exceptionally talented, uh, uh, talented authors, and I'm I'm eager to present your remarkable works to established publishers and filmmakers globally. My primary goal is to secure a contract for you operating within a commission-based framework, uh, which sounds wonderful, right? For domestic contracts, my commission mm-hmm. can be as high as 12%. To achieve this, I am uh, I aim to ensure that your work aligns with the preferences of traditional publishers and influential figures in the in the film industry. That's the hook. This uh, this strategic approach minimizes the the potential for a re- for rejection and materials, saving us valuable time and effort. I would appreciate the opportunity to delve deeper into your into your, uh, your vision and access how our aspirations align with your current book and any future projects you may have in mind, then uh, she adds, important as a commission-based literary agent, my compensation is contingent upon your book securing a contract with major publishing houses, Hollywood film production companies, or prominent bookstores. It was the prominent bookstores that really drove my skepticism. Hmm. So on this program, I try to focus on marketing and promotion strategies for authors, which falls on most authors. Even for many who are signed, you, you'll you know this, can agree with this Mark, even for many signed to a major publisher that you're still responsible Mm-hmm. Uh, likely for the lion's the lion's share of of the promotion, uh, and and even the big houses don't really promote small or new authors to any degree like they do their their big time anchor authors, which is becoming also becoming kind of a uh, a short shrift. Um, uh, proposition. Agents uh, are not promoters. They are sellers. It, you have to do the legwork, so to speak, and it can be a daunting slog. And it, And wouldn't it be nice if you could pay someone to get that done? It, it would be wonderful. Uh, bottom Absolutely. line, you can't. Uh, you and, and only you are, are the best person to represent your work. So I looked into EC Publishing, LLC. Uh, I looked them up at the Better Business uh, Bureau bbb.org where you can find probably a lot of these a lot of these uh, potential scams and there were a number of complaints against the company like this one they was and I'm I'm reading the email exactly as it was written they was supposed to help me publish my book when I give the company the materials they never call i feel they stealing my stuff i contracted doran's publishing they claim that if they if they steal your material, meaning steal, if they if they steal your material, we will come after them as well. I want my book back and my money back as well. First of all, I I I've written some sloppy emails, so uh, I I I probably shouldn't take this person to task too much, but I I'm also kind of seeing that there's a lack of knowledge, both about writing and about the industry a, a certain naivete that these uh that these scam artists can exploit uh in a heartbeat i i'd love your your yeah. a little bit bud
1: and you're right i mean we we as authors we shoulder the responsibility to you know to promote ourselves promote the story i will be honest with you i mean like like i said i mean you know, we i've had several i matter of fact most recently uh i've had a couple emails uh and a couple calls uh with uh spotlight network TV. I don't know if you ever, have you ever heard of them?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Yeah. So for, so essentially for a thousand dollars, you can be interviewed by a gentleman, Logan Crawford. Right, right, okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and again, you, 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 think about it, it's like, well, maybe this is a spot, maybe this is, this is where the book is going to go big time and we can really get a huge audience and footprint. Yep. Um, but again, it's, you know, I, I just, I, I'm very leery about spending that kind of money with you know, again, there's going to be no guaranteed results. But um, yeah. if yeah. I thought it would have a you know, get, you know, be able to get the story out there, I you know, I might consider doing it. But well, quite I, honestly, can,
0: I can tell you, I can tell you this: having okay. been in broadcasting on on the radio for uh, for for more than a decade, uh, and and doing this for a few years, but but prior to being on the radio, I did a lot of media for uh, for various things. Traditional media or, um, or or true media, I suppose, uh, they're always looking for content. They they want your content. If you're compelling and you have a good story uh, and and a good product, a book, if it's timely, I did a lot of media for. I wrote a book about the the downing of MH17 over Ukraine back in 2014. I was out with, a, with an investigative piece using, using my substantial airline contacts, but I was out with the most accurate book about uh, expose or investigative piece about that incident six months before, before the, the official report came out, and it's called The Tragic Fate. I did a lot of media off of that, and I was timed to do that. I also wrote it. Uh, Hunter Biden was mentioned in there, and Burisma, mm-hmm. and and Russia, and and I, I got a little bit. I, I spent a chapter and a half on Russia and the Soviet Union and and their their cultural perspective or their their political or ideo- ideological perspective. Um, so when the war in Ukraine happened, people contacted me again the cautionary there is if you have a book that's timely and or you can you can offer it for those timely moments then you'll always find an audience and you should never ever have to pay for legitimate media
1: well and i and i will say we have had in, in speaking to marketing the book yeah. um so one of the greatest successes we've had in two ways, quite honestly, is so my wife and I, we we have an antique business and we deal in primitives and architectural and industrial type uh, antiques. And so we go to markets in all, all over the country. Certainly when we when we do these shows, uh, I set up a little I have a table. I have posters of the family. I, you know, and I and, and I sell the book. Um, and it's quite honestly, it, it has done very well for us, yeah. very well for us. Yeah. And, and so that that's one success. The other is some of these markets we do two and three times a year. So when we return, people come back that have read the book. And most mm-hmm. of them speak about how the book and the story evoke such emotion within, in them that even caused them to, to go ahead and, and look into their, uh, their family's history. Within the military, so you know, and and that to me is a success as well.
0: I'm not going to spend a great deal of time Mm -hmm. on this because we we've got we've got some some other important stuff we got to get to here. Uh, There there are some scam alert sites for writers uh, that I'll post in the notes below. Facebook.com has a writer beware site, and uh, the sfwa.org has a has other resources for authors called Writers Beware. Um, and uh, and they actually wrote a uh, a special warning about fake literary scams, and I'll read just a little bit of that. Mm. Give people a little bit of uh, on on this. The past few years have seen a rise in particularly pernicious fraud. Scammers posing as literary agents and agencies. By the way, an agent will never ever cold call you or cold email you. <laughs> They're hard enough to get a hold of on their own, as you as you can attest to, Mark and agencies in order to trick writers into paying for expensive and often fraudulent services. They also, they also do this. Fans of George Nury coast to coast overnight will, uh, will may, may recognize this strategy. These long-winded, multi-segmented explanations about, I don't know, they, they, they met an alien, but, they, but it, it takes them forever to get to that point, right? What they're doing is degrading your natural sense of skepticism by investing you in the story, and by doing that, you're more apt to to accept the the story in its in its totality. It's uh, it's a little sneaky, uh, sure. but but that's but that's what they were doing. And 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 this is this is what happened when I got a phone call from this Alexa Rodriguez at EC Publishing. She was reading off a script, and I was in the car. and And, and as I was as I was telling her, you, you need to get to the cut to the chase, get to the point. She just kept going with her yes. with her spiel. Yes. She was yes. she was trying to sort of numb my brain into acceptance. Or there's also the time investment. I've listened to you for an hour. Yes, it, I, I'm it, sort of invested invested in you and I'm, I'm invested in my own time and
1: um, it's funny you just say that because yeah. when I, I spoke about the about the spotlight network that's exactly I got when I had the call uh, exactly yeah. the same thing that this gentleman did and, and I just kept wanting to say just I just want to interrupt him say give me the punchline how how much right you know? <laughs> it's like yeah. well, just cut cut to the chase. How much how much how much
0: right. but but there really is no um there is no bottom line uh because that it's, it's more of, a, 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 of an infinite well. How willing are you to write the checks? And then the more checks you write, then you, you feel that you're more invested and they, they, they have, they have a, a way of str- uh, stringing you along for that. Based overseas, primarily in the Philippines, these scams employ spoofed phone numbers and false addresses to convince authors that they are located in the U.S. or, or Canada. When I Googled the address of EC Publishing comes up as a parking lot in front Mm. of a school in Florida. Uh, (laughs) They claim to work on commission, no upfront fees, yet somehow you will always have to pay for something in order for publishers to work with you, editing, social media, marketing campaign, what have you. you. You may be referred to a separate company for delivery of these services, but in reality, it's all one operation and the agency is Just up front, they finish up here with uh, out-of-the-blue solicitation related to publishing or agent representation should be treated with caution, and uh, I added parenthetically, uh, and a huge degree of skepticism. And and then my final note on this, a reputable agent will never call you about your book, uh, as we said just a moment ago, and they will never ask you for money or a so-called good faith investment or charge for representing you. It's a scam.
1: Kind of like IRS calling you for
0: money. Yes, yes, (laughs) exactly, exactly. (laughs) Don't wait to secure your spot for Let's Just Write, Chicago's Writers' Conference at the luxurious Warwick-Allerton Hotel, 701 North Michigan Avenue, along Chicago's Magnificent Mile, March 22nd, 2024, through March 24, 2024. Come join us on Friday evening, March 22nd, for a welcome reception, including hors d'oeuvres, cocktails, and conversation, and our exclusive CWA Live Lit event. The CWA block of rooms reserved for the conference is at the incredible rate of $129 per night. But rooms are limited and will go fast. Then, join two days of presentations, workshops, panels, pitch sessions, master classes, and more. Your registration fee includes the Friday event, breakfast both days, one lunch, and banquet dinner on Saturday night at the hotel. Visit chicagorights.org for more information and to meet our growing list of speakers and industry professionals. Registration for the Let's Just Write Chicago Writers Conference will close on March 15, 2024, but this conference sold out in 2023, so don't delay. Let's just write Chicago's Writers' Conference, critically acclaimed and world-renowned. Visit the events page at chicagorights.org. Okay, now now to the good stuff, Mr. Hudson. Uh, We share a common interest in the Second World War history, particularly uh, about the Band of Brothers, uh, a well-chronicled unit history of the Second World War. We spoke about a common uh, interest in uh, in that story. E Company 506 Regiment 101st Airborne, originally authored by Stephen Ambrose. I've been to the Easy Company Foxholes in the Bois Jacques, overlooking Foy, just outside of Baston, uh, which they which is a beautiful, beautiful town, by the way. Yes. Uh, which they assaulted under enemy fire. That was ha- have you been to the uh to the foxholes in the Bois Jacques?
1: Yeah, we, we absolutely were. Uh, 2015. Yes. Okay. The original foxholes and the. Yeah, and, and walked the same path down to the town of Foy. That's yeah. better
0: than 2,000 feet down this long incline yeah. across largely open fields. I ran through sniper fire in Sarajevo for 400 feet, and that mm. seemed like forever. And that was one guy shooting at me. I, I just I can't imagine having to run that in. Boots or or bundles wrapped around your feet, uh, and uh, and heavy coats and weapons through oh, the snow, guns. the artillery fire. Yeah, just, yeah, For yeah. A Thousand feet, man, man. After
1: yeah, yeah, after living through hell in the you know when they were getting shelled in the woods,
0: veritable starvation and uh, and and near frostbite and all that. Yeah, a company is around. 250 people, I think. Uh, the series maybe highlights 20 or maybe 25 people, which is less than 10%. The book, uh, I think, hovered around that number. The point the point being this hardly covered the roster and the integration and y- you you can speak to this um, beautifully. Being a DI and uh, and a veteran, it, it hardly covers the roster and integration of all those different job specifications uh, or soldiers' MOS, the uh, the military occupational uh, specialty, as they're called, uh, with four platoons, three rifle uh, and one weapons, and uh, each with four squads, all meant to work as as a single unit. I, I'd I'd love you to to speak about. Someone who's written a a, a book about war on that conundrum between recognizing the imperative necessity of total unit cohesion and focusing a story on a few members of that, but trying to capture that camaraderie.
1: Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I was, like you say, I say, I was, I never, I <clears throat> was fortunate, never uh, was in combat, but certainly trained men for it. Um, I was, uh, like you mentioned, I was a drill instructor at, uh, mm-hmm. at Home of the Infantry, Fort Benning, Georgia, for two years. And, uh, you know, it's you, everyone always thinks of, you know, drill instructors as, you know, the, constant yelling and, uh, you know, in your face. And and while a lot, a lot of that is true di- at the beginning, you know, you build throughout, you know, we had what they call cohort units. So in one station unit training, so we had, you know, we had our guys from day one through all through their advanced training and and all through that time, it's a process. You know, the old, the old saying, you know, there's no I in team and that's true. You know you yeah. have to be able to depend on others uh build camaraderie trust with each other trust is a huge factor of course
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but uh yeah and you're right about you know the band of brothers you know it's um i had uh i had the privilege and honor of of becoming uh, of, of knowing el mapri and he was actually a medic in easy company and he was yeah. with the easy company from actually literally day one all the way by the from- way
0: is not mentioned i i i yeah. i've got I've got shifty's war here in front of me. Sure. Uh, he's mentioned briefly in shifty's war. Uh, I've got easy company soldier about Don Malarkey, uh, not mentioned band of brothers, not mentioned mm-hmm. brothers in battle, best of arms, not mentioned um, band of brothers in the footsteps of band of brothers, by Larry Alexander, not mentioned. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry. Maybe he, maybe he is, uh, but, but no, uh, Brewers mentioned in that, and then uh, Parachute Infantry by uh, by uh, Daniel Webster uh, not mentioned.
1: Sure, and and there is one book. It's called um, the Untold Stories: of The Band of Brothers, and it's yes. uh, yeah. um, several members. You know, you know, they chronicle their own stories. And and if I could say one thing about El uh in episode four, uh, when they jumped into Operation Market Garden, and they were on their way to, you know, they were they were making their way to Eindhoven. Uh, Lieutenant Brewer was shot through the neck by a sniper. Al Mamprey is the medic that saved his life. You, so Al was not mentioned. Um, another gentleman, and now I had the privilege of meeting Al and a couple other members um, at Doc Pepping, who was another um, medic in Easy and uh, Bradford Freeman? Now Bradford, he 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 was the last surviving member of Easy Company. He passed away in July of of unfortunately, last year of uh, yeah. yeah 2022. Ed James was the last surviving officer, and I, right. he passed away. I believe. Those
0: guys, those guys were all in there, you know, going into 2024. Here, you mm-hmm. you'd have to be. You'd have to be close to a hundred, if yes. not if not beyond a hundred. I think 20 was. Uh, was the mean age of, of most of those guys in 44? Mm-hmm.
1: It is, yeah. But we had, so we, you know, with our, uh, you know, we do presentations with the service flag and the Blue Star Mothers, Gold Star Mothers, and so we did an event. Uh, and it actually, it's in the first week, weekend of October of every year. It's uh-huh. Currahee Military Weekend, and it's held up in Toccoa, Georgia, which is, oh, you're uh-huh. probably an hour 15 uh, northeast of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And if you've never been there and and if you're a band of brothers junkie uh, like I am, you have to put that on your list of, of things to do because it's a it's a very it's a small museum, but it's a wonderful museum. And uh, so they held, they hold this event, Korea Military Weekend, and they would have, you know, surviving members come back and, you know, sit down and, you know, you had the opportunity to meet a lot of the guys. And yeah, so that, that weekend I, I had the privilege to meet Al and Ed Doc Pepping and Bradford Freeman now. And I always, I, I always joked with Al, it's like I had to travel a thousand miles to meet you because Al was actually from, uh, he lived up by Skokie, Illinois. So <laughs> after, after that weekend. We had the my wife and I had the privilege of of meeting him a number of times with his daughter Virginia Mapri a wonderful lady developed you know somewhat of a, 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 of a of a friendship the the stories that you could just listen to and I'm I'm shocked that that some of the stories that he told did not make it into the into the series quite honestly
0: yeah, yeah. so so people will probably recognize a, a key key scene in which a medic runs up to to Brewer, during the eindhoven um episode mm-hmm. you know, where where brewer is shot through the neck uh in in the road and a medic runs up and is immediately shot in the uh, uh in the leg uh which is what happened to uh al right exactly
1: yes it's exactly right and he, he remember you he, so he was he would tell me he was you know he was laying next to lieutenant brewer and he had a uh he had, he had given him a, a like like an iv and it was a glass bottle and he, and he yeah. would say that he would hear you know a sound that sounded it sounded like glass shattering but it obviously it wasn't it was the bullets that were whizzing by, whizzing by his right. head
0: he seemed rather rather jovial or 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 very well adjusted maybe better adjusted than than a lot of his comrades and mm-hmm. i'm wondering if PTSD is is one of those aspects of of war that is highly individualistic but ubiquitous, right? Mm-hmm. It, it it can be the violence. I, I know my my little brother-in-law in Sarajevo was was one year old when we were we were shelled in our neighborhood, and he was trembling so badly at, at every at every explosion and so loud noises really affect him and haunt him to this day so it's 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 not just seeing death it's it's the violence it's the it's the noise of war that can that can also shatter a person or or affect them right absolutely again it's it's very individualistic
1: i I think with world war ii and i'm no historian but but, you know, I I, I I do my fair amount of research. And, and you know, I, I think one of the things that, you know, men in that generation after that war, I mean, it was there was all expectations were, hey, we won the war. Uh, it's time to go home, raise families, get a job, move on with life. And I think I, I think many did that, but many didn't. And, and remember, you know, PTSD really wasn't labeled until I believe it was in the 80s. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and so I, there's a, and if you've never seen it, uh, I'd highly recommend uh, to watch, uh, it's called He Has Seen War, and it's a 2011 documentary, and it features surviving members of Easy Company and the First Marines that were in where that was. They were in the uh, the series. Uh, uh, the Pacific. Yes. And it's, and it talks about, you know, their difficult adjustment back into civilian life after the war and, and what, how, and how the war had impacted them. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, like I say, if you, if you have time, it's only, it's just a little bit under an hour, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's a great watch, but yeah, I've been mean, that. It, it, like I said, when they came back, it was uh, you know, they had it, they just didn't label it, but they even, all. Many even, in,
0: even in war, even in, 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 if if you if you feel you're on the right side, taking another person's life uh, mm-hmm. affects you, right? But Al had a different perspective in that he was there to save lives, mm-hmm. um, and and then he became a psychologist afterwards. Did I get yes. that? Did I hear that correctly? Yes. Yes. And so I, I'm wondering if and maybe this is a conversation we we can have later with with Virginia, if those two aspects of his experience ended up having waiting his uh his experience with ptsd
1: yeah and, and i think you're right i think virginia she she like I said, is such a wonderful lady and yeah. uh she yeah. traveled with al to to reunions yeah. and uh yeah. and uh I, I i'm sure she would she would love to sit down and have a conversation with you um
2: mm-hmm. but
1: you know one of the things you know she you know she had she had said you know she is uh you know, in speaking about Al. He said, you know she said, "Dad said there are different phases in one one's life. The key is to embrace the phase you are in while honoring the others. And how true is that?
0: Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, and, that's, and that's al yeah from from a literary standpoint, there are a lot of stories to tell, but uh, especially about the Second World War, but what do you think the the differences between, Second World War, the morality, the the juxtaposition, the history of it, what do you think the difference was between that and the later wars of this country?
1: Good question. Well, I think, one, I mean, you know, we think about World War II, uh, the country was behind it. Everyone felt, you know, people felt justified after the yeah. attack on Pearl Harbor. I think all wars after that, most wars after that, other than quite honestly, you know, I think a lot of young men had the same feeling after nine eleven as as young men did after the attack on Pearl Harbor. But I think, you know, when you think about support for the war, the nation was behind, was behind everyone uh, during World War II, and I don't think we've seen that since, quite honestly. But you know, it's one of the comments I often hear is, you know, say, well, you know, you know, men of, uh, you know, men today or young boys today would not, uh, you know, that'll never happen again uh, in terms of, you know, volunteering after an event like 9/11. And 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 I, I, quite honestly, I kind of, I, I think about that, and and I know several young guys that were were Marines, and 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 they looked at again, they looked at 9/11 as their Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Um, and so they yeah. felt that same loyalty, that same dedication for the country that they had to go. They had to go and and uh, I suppose in some way seek revenge, um, but yeah. to even score. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I had a brother that did uh, two tours in Afghanistan. His son gave up a, a full ride, of uh, mm-hmm. full scholarship uh, to Notre Dame uh, for football to join. Um, he's in the 82nd Airborne now.
1: During World War II, you know, there there were, I mean, there are stories of, there are stories of young men that committed suicide because they they wanted to enlist and they couldn't because of maybe it yeah. was a health condition or something that, you know, literally, that's how, that's how obligated or devoted they were to the nation that they wanted to serve.
0: I, th- I think there's, there's a romanticism to, to that mm-hmm. war, even more so than, than the First World War, uh, which was, which was, but it was, it was kind of the transition from, from that old style of a battle in ranks to to the trench warfare of World War I and then on to when, when that became a horrific, bloody disaster, then the world's armies or the world's military pivoted to unit, to, to movement, right? Tank yeah, really, and, it really
1: wasn't that. I mean, it, 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 you know, thinking of World War One, I, I mean, there really really wasn't that spark yeah, right, that yeah. caused men yeah. to serve. I mean, there were, you know, yeah. you know, uh, when President Wilson, when he, you know, went with the Zimmerman telegram, things. I mean, there were, th- yeah. you know, there were events that happened that, yeah. you know, that uh, certainly gave pause. But again, you know, it was nothing like, you know, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, that that caused men to, you know, enlist.
0: The Blitz of of London and, and England had a significant weight, but then then Pearl Harbor just tipped it over. But the, it was it was really kind of the last war of man against man, army against army, right against Absolutely. wrong, where where Absolutely. you could you could clearly lay out who was right and who was wrong. Anybody can get down get can get down in the weeds and and pick that apart. But by and large, it was it was good against bad. There's a moralistic righteousness in that, and and a, and, mm-hmm. and romantic right, righteousness in that would you agree with that
1: oh absolutely yes
0: absolutely so we just lost the final members of the band and band of brothers uh here over the last several years we we spoke about helm operating and some of the other the other folks had shames i have have his book on the shelf which is which is a great book by the way so where does one begin researching the stories of these men in their in their absence or in their memory, um, do you begin with family, military records, newspapers, diaries, libraries? Where, where, where does one begin if if they if they want to tell that story or if they have a story to tell?
1: Without getting like you know too deep into the weeds, you know, certainly one easy way to do it is to watch the series. Because, I mean, a lot yeah, of yeah. what they, you know, of what they portrayed, you know, was factual um, and just like the upcoming, yeah. uh, you know, Masters of the Air, you know, you know, from what, you know, with Tom Hanks and Spielberg. I mean, that's one of the you know, points that they wanted to, 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 you know, impress on was the fact that, yeah. Yeah. you know, yes, I mean, it is TV. Uh, but uh, again, I mean, it's, uh, they, they talked with, you know, especially in the band of brothers, cause at that time, you know, this was 2001 and they had started, you know, they had started researching this, you know, several years beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had members of easy company, several members, officers, and enlisted to, you know, to sit down and document their stories. Um, and same thing with the Pacific. Yeah. I mean, you can go like even, you know, researching, you know, the book that I wrote, you know, so costly sacrifice. It's you know, you know, to tell the story, you have to get deep into the weeds, absolutely deep yeah. into the weeds. And that, and that, and that goes to, that speaks to uh, the National Archives, that speaks to presidential libraries. Quite honestly, there had been several occasions where um, just reading old news articles and, and tracing family, uh, you know, families that I was able to connect with, you know, family members that, you know, that that they were, you know, serving in the war. So,
0: it, that was just, and that was really that was really important for so costly a sacrifice because everyone in that immediate family had passed on either either in the war or yep. or of of old age. So you were talking with sons and daughters and grandkids or or, or what have you, weren't you?
1: Yeah. So that means several things, and and, and to me, it's you know, it, well, I think for every book, especially nonfiction, you know, it's all about credibility. Oh, um, I, 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 it was a gentleman that, you know, I told him I was writing a book and he had, he said, oh, my father wrote a book. You have to read it. And he was a World War II veteran. And mm-hmm. uh, I said, oh, this is a fantastic book. And uh, and so he sent me a copy. And in the very first paragraph, uh, he had made the statement, uh, you know, um, I'm kind of paraphrasing. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was the worst day in American history, December 7th, 1942. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it right off the bat, it's like, okay, someone didn't uh, someone did not edit the story. And, and <laughs> you yeah. okay. know, but again, it yeah. you know, it just it, it speaks to credibility. So that was, you know, that's um <sighs> in, in you know, in so-called safe sacrifice. Yes, I talked to essentially Boyd, the one the son who came home. Uh I talked to his son Randy, Eldon. Uh, Eldon was too young to serve, uh, uh-huh. and I talked to his daughter and, and granddaughter. Uh there was another lady. She was uh, somewhat of a historian and, and, and teacher out in, uh, in Tremont. Yeah. And uh, so I had the privilege of, of, you know, working with her. And she actually sent me tapes back in, I want to say it was around 2000. One of the daughters of Elvin Gunda, um, she was still living. And they sat down and did several you know, uh, cassette tape, you know, on the old cassette tapes, the interviews with her. So I had that to pull from as well. So and then again, you know, National Archives, President Roosevelt and his I uh, went to his his library in Hyde Park, New York, and he actually had, of all things, he had a small folder of the Borgstrom family uh, in his library. So it's just it's yeah, I was, you know, very fortunate. But, you know, you have to just, you know, it's a lot of a lot of research. You know, you come to dead ends. Um, but did you just can't let that, that discourage you when, uh, and I didn't. So those in fragments, yes, absolutely Puzzle
0: pieces and fragments.
1: Yes. Yes. Speaking of fragments, you know, one, one little story is, is the fact that I, I linked up with, uh, uh, essentially a uh, father, son team and they're kind of hobby hobbyist historians of the 506 bombardment group over in, uh, and they live near ship dam, England. And so I got a hold of them. They were very helpful with the history, history of the unit. And, uh, and it just so happens they would give, when, when, when gentlemen would come back members of, you know, that, that at ship them, they would come back on occasion. They would, uh, you know, kind of see what's left and reminisce a little bit about their time during World War II. And, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the guys that actually returned was a gentleman. He was on the, the uh, what they called the crash crew, the day that Roland's plane went down. He was at. He was actually the first guy on site of that crash, and so he knew exactly where it was. And speaking of fragments, this father and son team actually went and they excavated a little bit and they dug up several fragments of uh, Roloff's plane that I was uh, that I will give back to the family. So a nice, you know, a nice keepsake.
0: In the book, you gave an astounding statistic: uh, a total of seventy eight thousand seventeen. US. airmen died during, during the Second World War, which I, I think is is a splash of cold water about the sacrifice that generation made.
1: Oh, it's an incredible uh, unbelievable st- statistics, and I suppose yeah. to kind of put it into you know uh, context you know, um, and I don't know, don't know the exact number, but the Marines all through. World War II, from Guadalcanal to, um, you know, to Okinawa, no. uh, to, you know, um, Iwo Jima, to uh, Tarawa, uh, lost 18,000 men, you know, certainly a, 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 a tragic number, but you, you kind of put that in comparison to what these, you know, these uh, airmen lived through is, uh, you know, just kind of gives you an idea of just, you know, the magnitude of it. Th- these were extraordinarily brave young men. They were all volunteers, yeah. right? Mo- yeah. Mostly, single, as I say in the book. And you you think about the courage that they had to have, you know, when they knew, it was no secret. I mean, they knew. I mean, it was, you know, your chances of survival was less than 50%, but yet they still did.
0: If you're, if you were shot down, you were, you were, you were mm-hmm. lucky, lucky if you were captured, <laughs> you're, you're falling yeah. thirty. Uh, Ten or twenty or thirty thousand feet to to the ground. There there weren't a lot of injured casualties. That I, I'm I'm sure that 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 number that seventy eight thousand skewed towards towards the towards the, the the near totality of of casualties for U.S. airmen.
1: I I cannot I cannot fathom. Actually, performing one of those jobs on on, on the, uh, you know, whether it was on the B seventeen uh, flying fortress or you know the B twenty four, they they, they yeah. referred to it as the flying yeah. coffin. You know, yeah. I can't imagine. Uh,
0: and a lot of those men knew going in, especially especially as as the war progressed, there were clear statistics uh, that they were presented with that you will survive. Maybe this many missions, uh, and then your number comes up. They knew that.
1: Yes, you know it's it's interesting. I you know I, I watch a lot of interviews with World War II veterans, and you know yeah. especially now with with you know with Masters of the Air coming out. One of the one of the interviews that I watched, and it's just absolutely fascinating. A gentleman by the name of John Lucky Luckadoo. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he was a B seventeen pilot uh, in the Hundredth Bomb Group. You know they called the Bloody Hundredth, and uh, one of the interesting facets of his conversation and he said he said you know paraphrasing but he said you know they really had four enemies right and and uh and they they all began with f and uh he said you know first was fear yeah he said you know we were absolutely just scared to death uh and those that didn't admit it um every one of them to a t was scared to death but they still did it the second half was fighters, you know, because, you know, German, you know, they had they had already been fighting the war for quite some time before we got involved. And, you know, so they were well trained, well trained and well equipped. And then flak, you know, the anti-air, the 88 millimeter anti-aircraft, the projectiles that, it, you know, when they exploded, it was just literally sharp pieces of metal that would go through this. I mean, this, the, the skin of the airplane was, was just thin aluminum. It ripped right through it. Yeah. And, then, and then he talked about the cold, the freezing, you know, at 20,000 feet, it's 50 below zero. And these are, uh, this is not pressurized aircraft. Any exposed skin would, would immediately freeze, freeze Yeah. You know, any metal. And uh, one of the comments he had made was he said at, at that, he said, you, you know, your fingers would, would um, self amputate
0: Yeah.
1: because, you know, it, because it was just that cold.
0: We we spoke a, a little bit of, uh, ago about being in the right place at, at the right time to do media and media promotion for uh for a book with masters Masters of the Air the the Spielberg and and Hanks miniseries about about to break here uh, I think in on January eighth maybe do do you plan on on doing anything to highlight your book, I, I would add this caveat that it wouldn't be exploitation because your book is incredibly important to the subject. and incredibly illuminating, not just for the um, uh, for for the statistic the seventy eight thousand that that we, we we spoke about, but it would seem to me to be a great addendum to to the series
1: yeah I, I haven't I haven't necessarily planned anything like that yet um, the series actually is gonna come out the 26 on these Apple apple TV
0: okay yeah um,
1: you know uh, you know it, it, it does speak in some ways you know because one of the sons that was lost he was a tail gunner on a on a b24 yeah um, you know I, I suppose in some ways you think of the the magnitude of loss with um, bombardment squadrons. Uh, and airmen, you think about the magnitude of loss with one family, you know, four of their five sons in less than six months. Yeah, I haven't uh, haven't thought about that quite honestly uh, in depth. But um, you know, I always say, you know, any opportunity to share the story about about the family, you know, I, I, I relish any opportunity.
0: You, you said you 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 received an option for uh, for the story uh, for yep. your book, so costly a sacrifice. Do you have a, a sense that that movie? Uh, or that series will will get made i've
1: been in uh, just you know a a little correspondence with the with the film with the filmmaker um and unfortunately he said i just had correspondence a couple a few weeks ago he said the director had had some health issues so it's it you know it slowed it down just a little bit uh and of Mm -hmm. course my timeline is so much more (laughs) on a rapid base than theirs you know i want you know i'm I'm anxious i'm anxious to see what they're gonna what they're going to do with it. And, and in the contract, they have to let us know what they're going to do with it um, because I want the story. You know, it, it must be as close to uh, as the book is, as, as possible because I mean, it, it, everything I've done, all their research quite honestly. Is, yeah, it, we'll, is it a
0: documentary or would it be, would it be a, a feature? That,
1: yeah. That, that I'm not sure of yet. Yeah. Okay. They mm-hmm. haven't, they haven't let me know what, uh, what the exact, what, what their exact plans are for
0: yet. They just wanted to take you off the market and protect mm-hmm. themselves. Yes. Yeah are you working on a new book?
1: You know, I, I and I really commend you for writing so many books. Uh what I mean that's uh
0: I'm um, a very tolerant wife.
1: Just uh well in the in the devotion, right? The devotion. Yeah,
0: that yeah, that, yeah, that's that's
1: the a, huge, a yeah. huge aspect of it. Yeah. Um so I I have and, and actually I was going to work on this book before uh the book about the Borgs from uh so Slave sacrifice and uh it's another story about a family, uh, except this family's from world war, uh, one. Okay. And, uh, I, I had, uh, I had invested about two years of, of research. Uh, now keep in mind, I do, I, I do work a full-time job. So a lot of nights and weekends. Um, yeah. Yeah. but, uh, so I, you know, essentially I, I had purchased a, 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 sh- a shoe box, an old shoe box, of items. Well, and, and particularly there was supposed to be, you know, in the shoebox box stores, I, I going to buy, I was purchasing these small service flags mm-hmm. and uh, and that's all that, that it was supposed to be, and so when I called this gentleman up, he's from New Jersey, little 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 junk shop in, in New Jersey. Uh, he had told me, he said on the phone, he said, yeah, you know what? There's there's some of those flags in there. He said, but you know what? There's a bunch of papers and a bunch of other things in the box. You can just have it all. So okay, fine. So so he sent me the box, and and uh, as I started to go through the box, uh, it's it's an entire collection uh, saved by mother. Who she had lost two of her three sons in World War One. Wow. Um, it's it's an incredible story as you start to piece it all together. There's a couple items in the book, or I mean that, that that were in the shoebox. One was one of her sons, Alexander. He had he had just joined the army and and he was down at uh, Camp Dix at the time they call it. And uh, and remember during that time it was the Great Pandemic. And so Alexander, uh, he had been in about a month. He got pneumonia. And so mother went down, Elizabeth, she went down to be by his bedside, and she was there uh, right at his side when he passed away. So she goes back to, to, to her hometown, uh, in New Jersey, and uh, she sits down and she writes a letter to her son, James. And James was, uh, he was in the uh, six engineer's in World War One, and he had been in four or five of the major battles, and so she sits down and she she pens the letter on, on October 17, uh, 1918, and she's telling James about the death of his brother, and, and she says, you know, it will be the greatest day of my life when you return back to me, and mails the letter, she gets the letter back, and on the bottom of the letter, at bottom of the envelope, it says, um, missing in action. Well, what obviously what she didn't know at the time was that exact same day that she sat down and wrote that letter, which is dated, was the exact same day that he was killed. Oh so God. yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's an, it's a, it's an incredible story. And so I, I'm focused on trying to get that told now. And what James, so James was killed in action and they brought him, they brought his uh, remains back and he's, okay. he's actually buried at Arlington national cemetery. Okay, And, uh, one of the pieces that's uh, that was in the shoebox, uh, I unfolded it, and it's about the size of uh, about eleven by seventeen. And uh, and so there's some lines, and there's oh, there must be you know hundred plus small dots. So if you just took a pencil and drew a dot, and all these dots are in perfect perfect rows. And so as I'm looking at the piece, you can see there's a little arrow right pointing to one of the dots, This says James Grave. And on the back, as I flipped it over, it said uh, James Grave, and it says Pa drew it. So the father had had drew a map of his of his the the of where his sons buried at Arlington National Cemetery. Just an incredible piece.
0: See, all all that is is a family treasure, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the story of a family, a, a tragic story of a family. But there's so much there's so much life and. Uh, and passion and poignance in those uh, in those little artifacts that tell a story or that hint at a much greater story that I can't I, I I just can't understand for the life of me why people aren't writing these books constantly and and so good on you man for Not one of the threads
1: that I thought you know just like you know with. With so costly sacrifice, with all the research papers that I have, with all the, with all the uh, documentation that I that I that I you know have from the National Archives and from President Roosevelt's you know his presidential library, from the fragments of the plane uh, in England, mm-hmm. all that rightfully go will go back to the family. It's theirs, and I've often said I'm, I'm just a conduit for their story. That's all I am. And I think about I think about you know the and I and the book's going to be called the shoebox. I, you know, one of the, one of the um, avenues that I want to take with the book is I want to find a living family member that I could return all this to, because again, this is, this is, you know, this, this belongs with the family, you know, it belongs to me right now because I want to write their story, but ultimately it needs to go back to the family. And how did it get, how did, and I often wonder, how did it get to a, a, a junk shop in New Jersey in the first place?
0: That level of sacrifice, deserves to be remembered. It deserves to be chronicled. Uh, That story, that story deserves to be told. It needs to be told, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, you know, just, I I need to do it justice. That's...
0: Indeed, indeed. Mark Hudson's book is so costly a sacrifice, should be a primer to the upcoming series, Masters of the Air. We will post a link to that book, uh, the critically acclaimed so-called uh so costly a sacrifice was a 2024 winner of the cwa book of the year award thank you man this was uh this was great
1: absolutely a pleasure speaking with you absolutely a pleasure
0: the the pleasure is all mine man and and i i get so (laughs) i read i read these books by these guys uh and my wife kind of rolls her eyes uh so i don't really have that much of a uh, that much of an opportunity to to geek out on band of brothers stuff
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful story and uh and maybe like i say maybe one day I'll, i we could uh we could get virginia and she can come on and she can she i would love that love, yeah. she could speak so much more than i ever I, I ever could so
0: and one more thing cwa's own rick kempfer has just published the loop files an oral history for the most outrageous radio station ever from eckhart's press Here's a bit of that conversation.
1: The rest was unplanned. Fans stormed out onto the field in the thousands. Disco records were hurled like frisbees. Bonfires were set. Bottles were thrown. The batting cage was torn down and destroyed. Fist fights broke out. White Sox players had to be locked in their clubhouse for their own protection. The melee lasted an hour and a half and resulted in 39 arrests and a few minor injuries. The baseball
2: fans missed the second game. It was canceled. The White Sox lost it.
0: Disco it demolition
2: really sort of kicked off the loop, right? Yeah, I think it put it on the map. I think, Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was... uh obviously on the map before that or people wouldn't have all come to disco demolition but yeah. uh, it was uh, like a bubbling of culture underneath the surface of you know people like us who were you know teenagers or mm-hmm. uh, young adults at the time um, we didn't really have a voice on the radio yeah that was to us and that radio station did it I mean they they uh, grabbed us and they gave us what we wanted and and we're still loyal to them to this day, you know, mm-hmm. 50 years later. We're
0: talking about the Loop Files, the oral history of the most outrageous uh, station ever from uh, from Eckhart's Press. Outrageous, maybe groundbreaking, definitely. Um, yeah. Dozens of great photographs in this book, man. Um, it's almost encyclopedic in scope.
2: Yes. Thank you. If if that's a compliment, I'll take yeah. it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it truly is. You know, a, a lot of books, especially a lot of books like this that are com- sort of compendiums or even oral histories leave a lot of questions, right. Or, or can inspire a lot of questions. This didn't leave me wanting anything after I was done with it.
2: My favorite part of writing this was reconnecting with all my old colleagues and friends and, uh, and reminiscing. Um, And it really is a a nostalgic trip down memory lane. Um, And Chicago, um, you know, our radio stars were our stars. Mm -hmm. And we were just blessed to have, you know, some of the best talent uh, in the country here and and at the loop we had i call it the 1927 yankees of radio <laughs> all working at the same station at the same time yeah. uh, you know you walk it down the hallway and you're 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 bumping into hall of famers left and right i'm lucky in the in one regard and that is i've been a media writer for 30 years and so i've been interviewing all of these people and some of these interviews are you know 15 20 years old some yeah. you know posts that i'm taking but I figure we're talking about something that happened before that. So I mean mm-hmm. the their memories were pretty sharp about what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was lucky I had all, and plus, I also knew all of them personally because I worked there myself for mm-hmm. seven years. So um, all the biggest names, I I know them all. I can call and pick up the phone and call them, uh, interview them, talk to them, and I, and I knew what questions to ask because I was there and I saw what happened you've you've compiled this over the years and then but there's
0: there's a real narrative story to to this there's there's a narrative arc that follows the trajectory of of a dramatic story right sort of sort of the rise and peak and and kind of the internal battles and internal dramas and external pressures and all those things so it's it's not just a dull read it's not just It's not just people saying this happened on this date, this happened on that date, this there's there's a definite momentum to the story. And then at the end, we're we're kind of a little bit broken hearted at at the at the dissolution of or the end of an era. Did, Did you have to massage that that narrative arc? Did it was it natural? How did how did you you sort of put that in the in this narrative?
2: To tell you the truth, Bill, I didn't realize that it was such a, a story arc when I started this project. You know, really? I knew that it was gone, and I knew uh-huh. that there was a demise and everything. Uh, what I did is, I what I asked people to just tell me their stories, tell me their best stories. I didn't mm-hmm. really, I wasn't trying to write it, you know, uh, as a history, as as a as much as I wanted an accumulation of some of the no. great stories that. Happened. And once I started putting them into a uh, a timeline. I saw the arc myself. I was like, wow. Okay. So we're all one big, happy family. Everything's going great. Uh, you know, we're the biggest radio station in the world. And then, you know, you get too big and, and each, each show starts getting a little, uh, jealous of the others and yeah. little, you know, uh, disputes start, uh, festering and, and it just it's just natural. It's a natural uh, story arc, as you mentioned.
0: There's definitely some personality lessons and stories here. Um, the Stephen Gary breakup uh, you talk, which which I, I thought you kind of revealed something very important here. But I'm going to hold that for for a little bit later. And we're going to concentrate on putting a book of of this scope together. So on an earlier episode of Chicago Rights, we had on Nora News, who is the author of uh, 24 Hours in Charlottesville, an oral history of the Stand Against White Supremacy, uh, an important book. And in that, we talked about a proper uh, oral, uh, how, how to construct a proper oral history. Uh, you've obviously been collecting these stories for many years. What was the, the catalyst for finally pulling the trigger to get this done?
2: Uh, There were really two things. One was uh, Kevin Matthews contacted me about two, two years ago, and he wanted to do a film about uh, the history of uh, his show, his band, and uh, sent me, you know, video clips um, that I uh, directed and put into a a narrative form. And while I was doing it, uh, Larry worked the general manager of the loop uh, in in my later years there mm-hmm. told me that he was working on this documentary and I realized that I had all this stuff already uh, accumulated yeah. and all I needed was to you know check back with some of the big players like I you know had a long conversation with mm-hmm. Jonathan Brandmeier and you know you'll, you'll you'll see some of this stuff in the book yep that I put it all together and my co-publisher Dave Stern said to me you know hey dummy you know nobody can write this book but you you're you're the one that knows all these people you're the one that has all these contacts this is a story people care about they want to read about it and why haven't you done it yet you own a publishing company you moron (laughs) Uh, basically that was that was how he put it and uh so that's when i started putting it together into a book form
0: the magic in this book is that it really describes an era which has come and gone but is hardly forgotten
2: yeah I think that's a nice yeah. way
0: of. thank you Bill yeah yeah Rick comfort is one of those quiet authors who comes out of the shadows always with a hell of a story his latest book belongs among the finest annals of Chicago history as a co-partner with David Stern Eckhart's press is Chicago's hometown publisher especially for a comprehensive effort to to chronicle Chicago media and personalities add to that a great list which includes the late great Czech Copic Bill Evans and John Rickards Landecker uh, the Loop Files, an oral history of the most outrageous radio station ever. And my sincere thanks to Mark Hudson and Rick Kempfer, and to all of you who listened. A link to my Playtime Playcast, Full Conversations, with my guests are also in the notes below. Our theme song, Midnight Ride, from Dino Olovich is available on Spotify, just like this program. The Chicago Writers Association is a 501c3 charitable organization. A membership is just $25 per year and makes a great gift any time of the year. Unlock a wealth of author and writer resources by visiting chicagorights.org. Here's to a fruitful 2024 for all of the writers out there. For Chicago Writes, I'm W.C. Turk.